Welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, visit PCAPainted.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all of you non-members out there, sign up for a free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the App Store and Google Play. This episode is brought to you by Nice Job, Painter Marketing Pros, and APC. Welcome to Paint Ed. My name is Torlando. I am your host today. So glad to be in your earbuds, in your car stereo. That's a privilege. That's a privilege. I I I, I am so grateful to you for for listening. I I've been uh, you know traveling around the country this year, going to different uh, contractor events, um, and I'm I'm surprised by how many people listen to the show. Um, I'm also not surprised when I go into a room and nobody's heard of it. So that's uh, we need to spread this show around to you know tell more people about it. Uh, but it but it, I I do I do consider it a great privilege uh, and a great trust to to be in your ears today. Um, you know my goal is to educate the industry and to bring in a level of education that isn't just your you know typical guru who had a a little bit of success and and uh but maybe not a ton you know they're not telling you the whole story and then they have you know some good ideas but a lot of it is just kind of regurgitated stuff from other influencers that is not this show that is not this show um i respect you too much as an audience and as a business professional i respect you too much to bring recycled garbage to you um in order to to listen to the show, I think that I think that the people who listen to the show have a little bit higher business acumen. I I, I really believe that, and and so today um, we're gonna we're gonna dive into some some business topics. Of course, we want to make it accessible. We want to make it understandable. But we're gonna be talking about managerial accounting today. I'm gonna make it fun. All right, I promise to you. I'm gonna make it exciting. I'm gonna make it tangible. I'm gonna make it real. I just spent the last three months in a managerial accounting course in my MBA program, and I am bringing on Mr. Frank Reardon, who is the financial controller for the PCA, on to talk about managerial accounting. This guy is an expert in it. I'm a baby when it comes to this topic. Okay, three months is not enough to be a pro, but Frank Reardon is, and so I'm. I'm I feel more equipped. To, to hang with the conversation and ask the questions that you need to be asking as you uh, endeavor to work with financial professionals or when you uh, endeavor to just manage your finances on your own in your company. Uh, before we jump into the show, let's, uh, let's, let's give our oblig- obligatory um, shout out to PC Overdrive. Of course, you can catch this show on PC Overdrive, 600 hours of video content, $5.99 a month or free with your PCA membership. Just go to PCAPaintEd.org to download it or find it in the App Store. Um, all right. I'm not going to bore you with other details of announcements, stuff like that. Unless you haven't heard about the Expo this year, it's announced. Go to PCAPaintEd.org to check out the dates of the Expo. Make sure that you register. Okay, make sure you register. But that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. Let's Let's talk right before I bring Frank on. 
I want to set the stage a little bit, okay? Now, I, uh, my background, my, my undergrad was in art, okay? That did not prepare me for managing the accounting of a business. It just, it just did not, okay? I, I, I can pick very beautiful colors. I care about craftsmanship and quality. Um, I can talk about color. I could talk about this thing. I would say that an art education is a very indirect business education because you do have to create something from nothing. And that creative process, that ingenuity prepared me in a lot of ways. But as I was growing my first company, the first step that I did is I, I delegated the painting. I, I split off the crews, had the crews running, you know, implemented crew leaders. They were doing the jobs. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to focus on sales. I'm going to figure out sales. I figured out sales. I hired salespeople. Okay. Had two, I had two salespeople. They were doing the sales. I didn't have to do the sales. I wasn't doing the sales. I wasn't doing the work. So then I was focused on marketing. Well, then I hired a marketer and and then I finally was like, okay, what else could I delegate? What else could I delegate? Because I was left with the with the accounting. And so I, I brought in somebody to manage finances and then everything went south. So <laughs> what happened is I was over leveraged. That's what happened. It's, it's a term called being over leveraged. My fixed costs were too damn high. And if I had stronger knowledge and understanding of manager managerial accounting i think i could have weathered the storm a little bit better in fact i think that the ups and downs the cyclical uh, the cyclical nature of the painting business can be handled better by understanding managerial accounting and and i think especially this time of year when for some of you you had a great year and you're talking to your accountant and you're figuring out how am I going to reduce this tax liability? That's some of you. Some of you listening, you, uh, you you weren't profitable and you got no cash. And so you're struggling in other ways. Um, that's kind of the two sides of the coin, right? Fi- figuring out that that balance where you, you're, you've done perfect tax planning and you've done all this. If you're doing it on your own, you, you, you're not there unless you are a CPA. I, I do know one painting contractor who is actually a CPA first and he's his finances he knows what he's doing but for a lot of us if you're like me you know old school painter and you don't know what the hell you're doing so so we need to to figure this out we need to figure this out and so that's why I'm bringing on Mr. Frank Reardon Uh, without further ado let's go ahead and bring the man out of the show ladies and gentlemen Frank Reardon Hey Frank, welcome to the show. Hey Clando, thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So so we had you on um, a few months ago, and we were um, in that case, in that instance, we were talking about um, the uh, uh, remind me what we were talking about the the, the, the ERC employee, employee retention tax credit. That's right, the employee retention tax credit, the ERC. Um, but today, what we want to do is we're really going to dive into managerial accounting, which is um, which is your strength. Tell us a little bit about your, um, your background. What, what makes you the expert in this, in this arena and, um, and kind of, uh, lay out a, 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 a little bit of a foundation for 
why we need to bother with managerial accounting. So I, I was listening to your intro, happy to do that, but listening to your intro and uh, uh, quickly realizing how interesting I am um, for, for having an accounting degree. <laughs> um, so I grew up in a, a small business family. Um, this is where it all started. I started, my dad had his own business for 30 some odd years. And then my aunts and uncles all ran their own businesses. And so dinner, dinner table talk was employees suck, payroll suck, taxes suck. You know, I'm not making any money. Why, you know, I should just get a corporate job. You know, all, all the things uh, that, that, uh, that you all go through as well. Um, and and my dad did have an accounting background so he you know he his, his numbers were always tight they didn't always tell a good story but they were always tight sure <laughs> um, but uh but then after that that was kind of the foundation to go to college and get uh got an accounting degree went into public accounting um and uh really felt like uh the services offered by the cpa firms of the world weren't driving value for the small businesses you know they people we were telling people they were doing it wrong. They knew they were doing it wrong. They needed help doing it correctly. So kind of moved to focus more on that managerial accounting, which is the economics behind the business, cash flow management, um, financial reporting, and, and then how that all that drives the ship of tax compliance and business investments and personal investments and all type of stuff. Um, just getting that order correct. So I've been in the, been in the, the, accounting field for 10 plus years um, and you know seen a lot of interesting businesses uh, both nonprofit and for-profit and and it all comes back to the core discipline of uh, financial reporting and um, you know uh, you know coming coming with clean information so that you can make business decisions and that can help keep growing the business or maintain the business whatever stage you may be in okay so how does how does managerial accounting differ from the the work that a a, a cpa would do good, good question so um i love it because I, I when i when i got when i first earned my cpa license and still to this day people are like so you do taxes no i never you know i i i, I did two tax classes in college and that was enough to know that that wasn't the that wasn't the path for me okay um, <laughs> um so so managerial accounting to me is the top of the funnel, right? So this is where all the numbers are. This is this is all the outputs from the business. What is happening from a, you know in and out of the bank, on credit cards, lines of credit, loans, equipment, all that type of stuff. And that's informing the next layer down, which would be that CPA role on the tax side. Um, you know, for help with compliance reporting. You know, the tax code's always changing, and so those folks in the tax space. They spend their time staying up to tune with the, the laws and regulations and how to optimize that. But they can't do anything without numbers. And right. oftentimes, oftentimes those numbers that they get are fairly incomplete um, or 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 are put together in a way and in a, in a, with a lack of timeliness that that they they're reactive, right? They can't they yeah. can't save any tax dollars. They can't do anything. They're just getting numbers put in a form because we got to get those forms in. The other side of the CPA house is as business businesses grow grow. Let's say you want to acquire a company, or or you have a line of credit, or um, uh, certain contract sizes require bonding. Is the attest and and audit side, which which is what I did when I was in that world, which we're basically coming over the top of 
bookkeepers and controllers in-house and saying, you know, this is how it should be reported. It shows the schedule, shows the support um, to say as a third party that this is fairly stated, not fairly stated, correct, you know, all that type of stuff. And so those CPAs really sit, um, I like to say below because I like to be on top. <laughs> not the funnel, but the what first, kind of show do you think this is? Come right, on now. Right. <laughs> uh, it's a family show, Frank. Come on, man. <laughs> um, but the uh, the the CPAs are really all sides are compliant, more compliance driven than they are growing the business. Um, uh, you know, understanding the economics of it, they just want to say, "All right, did the things get in the right buckets? Yes or no?" and move right. on. Um, and so, so managerial accounting, I think, drives all the should drive all of the compliance conversations um, about what what can and should be done from that level. Got it. So, so in other words, um, and I and I think this is totally fair. In other words, the the CPA is going to be looking in the rearview mirror while the managerial accountant is looking through the windshield, right? Cor correct. Yeah, we that managerial accountant sits on both. We you know we we need to have good sound books. We you know we look a little bit backwards. But uh, you know to make sure that that our trail is correct. But then we're definitely, if 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 backwards is in good shape, then we can take that and look forward and say, okay, let's put it, let's overlay a sales forecast. Let's what if we do this with our marketing budget? What if we do you know? And and that's where um, whether outsourced in in-house uh, tax preparer or not tax preparer, that's where that accounting resource becomes and finance resource becomes super valued to you know people accounting people get a bad rap, which is oftentimes deserved with some of the accountants that I know, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, they're so, um, we have rules, we have, um, uh, just kind of systems that, you know, we got to get things in the right boxes, but so many accountants, um, especially on the tax repair side, they stop there. Okay. It was in the right bucket. I'm good. I can fill my form out. I go on right. The really good accountants can take that information and then really take it forward. And how does that impact me? What money can I pull out of the business? What, what what money do I need? Where do I need to make investments? Or you know, is that margin is my is my gross profit margin growing as my sales are growing? Or am I just getting busier without making more money? That you know, those types of things. That's where accounting resources and and finance resources become super valuable. Is when we interpret. It's not just you know uh, being all over you about getting numbers in the right spot. It's it's taking that information and saying here's what we need to do with it. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so let's, uh, I think a good practice would be to kind of walk through, um, you know, walk through the, the financial statement and, and to understand kind of our, 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 our cost structure, um, you know, have a deeper understanding of how we should manage and balance our variable versus fixed costs, um, understanding what, what to do a profit. I'll give you a little context here. When I, when I first went to a PCA event um, six or seven years ago, so probably about seven years ago at this point, I remember being, um, you know, I loved the event, but there was one thing that kind of disappointed me. And that was all of these like big hat, no cattle uh, contractors talking all about their top line revenue. They'd come, you know, I, 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 and I remember because I, I got put up on the stage with Nick Slavic, um, you know, seven years ago. At that time, our, our businesses were pretty close um, and we were we were pretty small, like we were just still still starting. And I remember this guy came up and asked me what my revenue was. And I told him 
and and he came up because I had just presented. Like they just threw me up on the stage. They didn't know who the heck I was. They threw me up on the stage. I did, I'm a good presenter. I did a good job. So all of a sudden, all these people are coming up to me, looking looking at me like I have all the answers. I don't. I still don't to this day. I don't have all the answers, but they, they're looking at me like I do. And and he says, so you know what 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 did you do last year? And I told him, and he goes, oh well, uh, hmm, uh, we did two million. So um, if you have any questions, you know, come come find me. And then he just left, right? And I felt like a little booger. Yeah, I felt so small and and little. But what I realized as I went throughout, you know, the the course of that uh, that meeting, and I went, you know, I kept going. I went to other events. What I realized is that some of these guys that are putting up great revenue numbers, their incomes aren't any different than somebody who's doing less than, you know, three, four hundred thousand. And so this idea of understanding our cost structure, understanding the difference between uh, revenue and um, gross profit and, and net operating income and what happens to the profit after, you know, afterwards, those are things that um, that I think are confusing because on on they're they're pretty simple to understand but i think that as contractors where we're very we're becoming more and more visible to each other and some of us paint a picture maybe all puns intended there uh <laughs> we paint we paint a picture of of something that doesn't really reflect reality we we might look at the profit and think man we had a banner year but we look at our bank account and we think where is the money though um i have to pay all these taxes it looks like it i was i was profitable but we're out of cash how is that possible and so that that those are the things that i want to try to answer and and if we can just kind of take it one by one um help me understand revenue and and why why it's important to track revenue but also why is it um, you know, what are the pitfalls of, of looking at revenue as a, as a strong metric? So great question. I'm going to pin that for just a second. Cause you threw out a lot there. Um, Sorry. <laughs> okay. no, I was just taking some notes. That's all, all good stuff. First off, I don't know if you knew this, but I did marry a Texas woman. So you're all having <laughs> It's very poignant. Um, uh, that I, I run into that all the time down when I see the in-laws with people. Or, so I, I get that. Don't also don't know when this is going to air, but we're coming off the Rangers World Series win last night, so our household's fired up. Oh, that's right. Yeah, um, congratulations. Okay. So that's about that's the that's the Texas. I do love that phrase. Though, all hat, no cattle. That's a that's a, a very it, it, it's all over the place in business. Yeah, a couple of things, and I will come back to your question. Um, you know, so many people are just so set and all these influencers are so set on, I'm a $10 million business. I'm a $15 million, I'm a $50 million business. And, and what they lose is, um, okay. If I was, if I was successful at a million dollar business, am I, am I more successful at a $10 million business? Or if I just got myself busier without, without making more profit. And, and I think this is the, this is the art form of managerial accounting, right? So every, accountants get a, a, a rap as just being spreadsheets and in a box. And, and this is, you know, if you've got the firepower to grow a business, you've got the sales pipeline, you got the marketing function, you know, the accountant is that third leg of the stool, the you know, that, you know, managerial person, a financial person is it, that can say, all right, now we're profitable because we absolutely should make more money the more revenue we do. It's not, it's not, that's, that's a relationship that should be there. Right. Um, 
one thing that comes up on, on, on a lot of fronts, both on the business front and for me personally too, is, is I feel like we, there's a, a shortage or nobody's parents or nobody's schools, nobody, you know, kind of broadcast this is, but you know, in the, in the self-employed small business space, nobody, you have to define what success is for you. Right. You know? And so, so that person that comes up and says, well, I got $2 million. Let me know. Let me know if you want to know anything. Well, clearly there's something whether personal or business related that they're trying to validate their existence and that's right. their metric of success. But I think I start with a lot of folks and to say, and, and again, I'm far from perfect, but it's like, okay, what does success look like in this situation? And that's all we can work towards is, is what was Torlando doing seven years ago? What's he doing today? And that may be, that may be more revenue, more profitability, hold steady the same, but I can't, you know, I, you know, I can't define that for you. I can't define that for anybody. Um, but doing some thinking about that really helps kind of inform the next stage because you're, there, there, there's never enough. There's never enough uh, money. There's never enough revenue. There's always there's always going to be more. There's always going to be more jobs to be had. There's always more hours to work. There's always mm -hmm. you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I think really honing in on what does success look like, and and that's going to be different across the board. And I think leveraging your your professional resources, whether that's your lawyer, accountant, financial advisor, you know, if you've got, you know, if you've got somebody in house to help you get closer to that, that, you know, get everybody tied in on that. And I think, I think that is a, uh, a good format. So that's my little diatribe there. So, well, yeah. so hold on a second though. Are you, I, I mean, you're, you're the, you're the managerial accounting guy here. Are you saying that, that money alone is not success? Uh, well, <laughs> Torlando, <laughs> It, it 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 you know I think I think was it uh, notorious B I G said the, the the more money we come across <laughs> yeah. the more problems we see yeah so uh, yeah it's not the it's it's the it's the beginning thing and I think the psychology of money is super fascinating because everyone's like well if I get to this level I'm gonna I'm gonna have this all my other problems are gonna go away all and and, it, and it's not the truth and that's very true without being too wide reaching over my conversation but like in the business. The more money, the more people that you're managing, the more it's more headaches and it's more it's more challenges. And, and if you're not making more money for doing that, what the hell are you doing it for? Right. Um, um, is it so that you can go to your your friends at the bar and say, hey, I'm a five million dollar business or I'm you know, what's really cool to me is cash flow and being able to you know, pick up and take a trip when I want to take a trip or take my kids somewhere and, you know, not have to worry about what the tickets cost or, you know, that, that type of stuff. Yeah. And again, that's, that's my definition, but that's, but, um, but that it's not just about what's happening on the PL or what's happening in the bank account and that kind of stuff. I think you have to inform what that success looks like. Similarly, um, back to money psychology stuff, money is not evil and it's not good. It just is a thing. Right. It's what people do with it that that can that get and there's, you know, from what family you grew up, what school you went to, all you know, all the societal stuff that can get layered into it. Like people are like, well, I don't want to be a trust fund kid or I'm a trust fund kid or you know, all, you know, all there's all that psychobabble that happens. And and it can be at its core. It can be I look at it as freedom. Right. It gives yeah. you the freedom to choose what you're going to do next. And, and many, many people don't get that choice. And so having started your own contracting business, that's a big step in that. And now you've got extra freedom and you just don't want to, you want to do that tying back to manager. You don't want to do that in a, you worked so hard to get to that point 
and it took a lot of courage to get there, but you don't want to squirrel it away because you don't have, you're not seeing the number, you don't understand the numbers. And so you got to kind of put yourself in a position that it doesn't, isn't your, your demise. It isn't your um, Achilles heel, if you will, but it, it can be a good thing that can give you freedom to do other things, whatever yeah. that may be. Yeah. I, uh, I just, I just uh, got sucked into a, a headline um you know with about kim kardashian this is this morning i don't ever get sucked into the kim kardashian headlines but this one i did and it was about how her her daughters were talking about how they prefer their dad's house kanye west they prefer his house because he makes food with them and they don't have a chef and they don't have nannies and you know they they do more stuff together and you know her her criticism uh you know her clapback was you know making ramen together doesn't count as you know it's cooking <laughs> it's <yeah>. cooking but, <laughs> That's but pretty it's pretty funny but what she said is she said that it seems like her kids put a, a greater premium on normalcy than they do luxury mm -hmm. Which was which was really interesting to me. Um, you know, the what it ultimately came down to, and and this was the conversation that she was having with one of their sisters about how they, instead of trying to provide all of this extra stuff for them, that they actually had to clear their schedules such so that they could make pancakes in the morning with their kids, right? And and so I think that to me, when I think about success obviously we have to we live in a capitalist society we have to make money to survive and it's nicer if we have a good runway it's nicer if we have nice higher quality things but success to me is more about things working you know like if i you know i i look at it like um you know like a basketball game you know it's like i the the basketball player they get paid a lot of money and part of their you know part of their success brings them extra money but winning a game scoring points that's that's not driven by the money it's it's driven by the game itself and so for me it's like i just success to me is is scoring baskets you know <laughs> success to me is is winning a game and having the dunking thing every once in a while. yeah dunking every once in a while it's 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 blocking a shot it's it's feeling like i'm accomplishing things and and my my personal philosophy is that if i the more that i accomplish the more the money will will flow uh, behind it however um if we're not smart about where the money's going if we don't understand our cost structure then we end up like those folks who look at the end of the year and they say wow we made a hundred thousand dollars in profit but I, I have an empty bank account and that, and that happens, that stuff happens. So, so, you know, back to the, you know, back to the PL, help me understand revenue. And the reason that I want to understand it, and, and I know that it's a basic question, but it goes back to that first encounter that I had where the guy said, come talk to me when, you know, if you want to hit 2 million, help me understand why revenue is important and help me understand where, it might not be as relevant. 
Okay, I, I promise I will answer the question because we've not, but this is just a quick rabbit, <laughs> rabbit hole detour because uh, you mentioned a couple of times, so I finally made the note. But it's the uh, one of the best things I've heard is is the more I learn, the less I know. Mm. So I think, and, and I think being in the business space, you'll learn um, that there's just there's always going to be something that you don't understand. There's always going to be something, that you, and so you got to work at those to understand them. But then you're, that's going to open up six more trees and, and you know more more dovetails. And so I think rather than this, this informs this next piece of the conversation. Rather than think about um, being protective and and like, oh man, am I, I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I can't. I'm not doing this right. It, it, it being a little bit more open minded to it and understanding that. There will be challenges at every level all the time, but making what, you know, like I said, comparing yourself to yourself seven years ago, things are working a lot better. You've got some process, you've got, you get the right people and, and that type of stuff. And so um, there is no end to what you need to learn as you continue to run your business. Again, whether that's a growing business, a steady business, you're winding it down to, to retire, whatever it may be. Okay. So that's enough. Uh, the, the psychology, let's get into the nuts and bolts. Yeah. Uh, I, I do love that conversation and I think not enough people give it credit. Um, they just want to know what the numbers are and 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 go on with it. But I think it's super important. So absolutely, thanks for talking about that. Revenue, revenue is the uh, kind of like our manager. It's the top of the funnel, right? So we don't exist without sales. Um, you know, um, and not everybody can be in a nonprofit posture. And and right. you know, and, and um, you know, so you got to have sales. And and I've had so many conversations with folks along the way that you know, it's like. Well, what can I do? I, what, what, you know, I'm not making any money. I was like, well, what are, how are your sales doing? Um, you know, and they're like, well, I'm struggling. Like, okay. You're not, you know, no matter how much you save or don't spend below the revenue line, it doesn't matter if we don't have the right inbounds and, and whatnot. And, and, and so I've, I've learned over, over time that you got to kiss some frogs along the way, right? Mm -hmm. So you got you to have some projects that don't, you know, that you don't love doing or whatever, but that gives you the next, level of freedom to do to, that there's a point where you can say i don't have to take that you know quick painful job i don't have to take that anymore and that kind of stuff and so having a good steady understanding of who are my customers who are my referral partners how am i you know how am i marketing myself to get that top line because that's the start of everything else really doesn't matter until we have some have a dollar in, in to to run through the traps yeah and, and 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 then there's 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 a we'll get down to down the, the financials a bit but there's a minimum amount of revenue that you have to have to to really be in business and then beyond that we want to make sure every time we grow whether that's from 500 to a million million to two two to ten whatever it may be you want to make sure that you're making more money as your revenue is growing not just getting busier and i think that that's the pitfall of pretty much all contractors and, and and small business people is they get they're so focused on getting busy and having revenue that they that they don't realize that they are making less money or they're or they're um, you know they're, they're they're getting pinched other areas because they just want to grow that top line right right you know I, I I'm reminded of a of an experience that I had when I was at uh, I was an employee at a company I was in a sales and marketing role and I remember just from from observation um, that as as I made a sale, it's almost like that was um, a license to add on a new expenditure, and that that gave me so much pressure because it it meant that 
um, the, the pressure from above would come back down onto me because it's okay. We have to make your next sale. You have to make your next sale. And it was a, and, and I was in a company where the, the sales cycle was very long. It was a very quite long sales cycle. And so it, it's, I felt a, a, an, an insane amount of pressure to, um, to perform because the company was always tight. So it, it felt like that revenue line was always moving. But I think that there's a smarter way. So how do how do I how do I figure out how much revenue I need to make? Because I think most of us, I think we just kind of guess, you know. Like, and, I, and I'll give you another example here. I was I was at a um, I was at an event. Um, it was a great event. It was it was Tom Reber, uh, and he kills it every time he he does anything. But I remember him asking. He had everybody stand up in a circle in this room. And we all stood up and he and he said, OK, I want you all to tell me how much revenue you want to do uh, next year. And so everybody went around and I would say that probably 95 percent of the room said a million dollars. And then there was one, you know, one company that said four and another company that said seven. And the company that said four and seven, I knew both of those companies. They were great business owners. I, they they were legit. I felt like their goal was was uh, backed by some financial understanding. Everybody else, I got the sense that they had this understanding that our um, profit margin, our net profit margin, should be ten percent in this industry. And if our net profit margin is ten percent then that means, well, 10% of a million is a hundred thousand and, and I want to make a hundred thousand dollars that I got the sense that that's what was going through people's mind. The napkin math. The napkin math. That's right. But I, I mean, I, you know, I told you, I took the managerial accounting class. I know that's not the full story. I know there's a formula to figuring out what we, what that revenue line actually is, what our break even is. Can you help us figure out how to actually set a, a, a smart, logical revenue goal. What is our revenue line? How do we figure that out? So let's assume that as we go down this conversation, let's assume that we're over the first dollar, right? We've made a dollar. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we're in there, how do we figure it out? Um, I think, um, so, so what we're moving into is, is a concept called gross profit and or contribution margin, right? So yes. um, you've got your top line, right? So this is what you've agreed to get paid from customers for the job. Let's just use a $10,000 job just for round numbers, easy math. I do math all day, but I'm not any good at it. So <laughs> I'm not any good at it on the fly, I guess. Okay. Uh, um, so we have this $10,000 job. When we make that bid, we say, okay, well, I've got three guys that's gonna cost me 3,500 bucks to, to, to pay them for the week's work, whatever, you know, whatever the time. So I've got 3,500 bucks and then I've got, um, 1500 bucks in material. So just like that, I've got $5,000 in expense. Yep. So, so what the gross profit and or contribution margin is, is your revenue less your cost of goods sold, i.e. your direct costs. Um, and so that your gross profit and and contribution margin, I use those interchangeably because they're the same thing, mm -hmm. tells me, um, well, they're, they're mostly the same thing. I'll come back to that. 
that tells me, okay, here's what I have, right? I don't have a dollar revenue without these expenses, right? So to get that dollar revenue, I have to spend 50 cents. Right. So I've got my 50 cents now that I can spend as I see to have my business. Uh, so that's going to pay for utilities, rent, business licenses, accountants, lawyers, you know, all the stuff kind of op operating expenses, hard costs, fixed costs that have to, that are incurred to be in business. Right. So let's jump back to gross profit contribution margin because that can be different. That, that number can float for if you are a simple contractor that only does residential painting, pretty simple. You're offering one product service, um, but there might be folks that do uh, residential and commercial and, you know, and, and do floors and, you know, you know, there are all, all kinds of different pieces. And so you got to think about each of those in your own miniature profit and loss to this gross profit number, because what profit you generate on a commercial job is probably going to be different than a residential job. What profit you generate on a one room job is probably different than a whole house paint job, that, that kind of yeah. thing. So understanding what your offerings are and the profitability of those is critical because then you come up with this, with this product mix, call it of, okay, I'm going to do 20 jobs at 30% margin. I'm going to do another 20 jobs at 50% margin. I'm going to do, you know, whatever down the line. So I get this blended gross profit of 35%. Yeah, that that I want to pause there to make sure that that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So, so let me. I, I should probably make it more tangible for for our listeners. So, something that I've that I've recognized and and under and understand is that um, consumers actually value um, different parts of what could be painted at different at different prices. So, um, cabinets versus walls, for example. The 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 perceived value and the willingness to pay of the consumer for painting cabinets is much higher than it is to, to paint a simple wall. And so you, your margins on cabinets are going to be much higher. I don't have a specific number because it varies vastly across the different markets, but typically the, the margins on cabinets are higher than the margins on the walls, but the walls themselves, they, um, they produce a very big visual change, a big visual transformation. And in terms of all the things that you could paint, walls are probably one of the easier ones. Ceilings, they're maybe technically not, you know, more difficult, but they're just more strenuous. But walls are probably like the easiest thing to paint. And so it, it goes the fastest, it makes the biggest impact. And people are willing to pay more money for the walls than they would be willing to pay for the ceilings. Because the ceilings, you know, it's you're they're white and you're going to paint them white. And it's in the 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 transformation isn't the the perception of the transformation isn't as huge. And so they're typically less willing to pay, um, you know, a, a high amount for the ceilings. And and that's the same for the trim. The trim has a, a low visual impact on what's happening. But the amount of work that it takes to do the trim. Well, it's it's I mean, sometimes it's harder than the freaking cabinets. And so, you know, you can't you if you wanted to if you were to to really like, you know, charge an apples to apples price just based off of time and effort, then you you're probably end up pricing yourself out of a lot of full repaints because you've priced the trim so high that it all of a sudden becomes inaccessible to the customer. They're less willing to pay such a high premium for something that has such a low perceived value. And so 
the, the idea here is that if you were to do some price customization and have different margins for different products, then you would have to calculate that into your cost structure to understand that, yeah, your, your contribution margin is, is going to be a variable depending on all of these things, but it's too difficult, I think, to just like segment it all the time. And so we just kind of blend it all in together and, and come up with an average. How, how close am I? Yeah, you're doing, doing great. I think, I think that's, uh, um, that's the art form of, especially this industry, but that's the art form of, of businesses is, you know, we don't want to, and this is where accountants go sideways. We can analyze till we're, till we're blue in the face. Like we can, you know, well, what we do is what we do this, what we do. And you have to have a little bit of an art form and under, but you have to understand those drivers and understand that, yes, the trim takes me longer. Yes. The ceiling doesn't take me very long, but I don't, you know, that, that you have to find that balance so that you come up with uh, a number because, because your bid informs your profit and loss and your profit and loss informs our projection of what we're, what we need to do to make, you know, to make our hundred thousand dollars or whatever that, whatever that number may be. A um, couple of things you, you hit on there. Um, I, I don't, you know, this probably, you, you kind of have to do the whole, people aren't looking for just the walls to be painted or the trim to be done or whatever, but, but um, coming up with a product mix that I always refer to it as the singles and doubles, right? Sorry, I'm still still a little high on the baseball here, but <laughs> but but it's it's steady, stable. You know, here's what you know. These are the here's the jobs that we're going to get, and we're going to have a, a steady contribution margin, steady gross profit. They're profitable. They keep my team busy. They keep me busy. Whatever it may be, and I have theoretically an unlimited supply of those. Those are what you need first and foremost. And so what are those projects? I don't, I don't know the specifics sure. of all, but, but what are those projects that are my, you, you need your bread and butter, your bread and butter. Right. Yeah. Um, and if you can develop those and you have a steady profit margin on those, then you can take bigger swings, right? So you see a meatball and I can, now I'm going to charge. This is a, you know, I know this customer at, you know, doesn't have, you know, doesn't have the price pain that other customers may have or, or on that singles. But so you, so that, but you have to have the flywheel working before you can, before you take that big swing. What too many people do is they get so revenue focused of, oh, I got this $500,000 job or $100,000 job. Well, how are you gonna service that? How are you gonna deliver that work? How are you gonna make that work happen? And how are you gonna make it profitable? Um, larger jobs, typically, especially in a competitive bid environment will get lower margin, but there, mm -hmm. you know, there's good benefits of you know, that customer, I might have more volume with that specific customer or whatever it may be. Whereas, you know, me homeowner, you're going to come paint my house and I'll see you in 15 years or, you know, unless you've got children, right. I'll see you in three, right. um, <laughs> whatever, whatever it may be. But, but having, but you got to understand the margin and where your, you know, where your bread and butter is. Um, and then, then one other thought real quick was the, um, and if, if you came into this business and you wanted to just paint walls, and again, this is why I sit behind a computer all day because I run out of creative examples, but <laughs> we all have our skill sets. Yeah. Um, but you have this, uh, if you're just going to go, you're going to have your, or you're going to have your crews just paint, trim, 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 you're going to burn out. You're going to wear down your equipment, right? Your, your mm -hmm. equipment being your people. Right, if, right, right. If I look at another baseboard, I'm going to go crazy. And so you got to have, you know, minimally have some variety just to keep, you know, all you know, there's things that one person may be a better trim painter than wall painter and yada, yada, yada. But having some variety so that you don't just do the same, you're 
your your main asset is the people, whether that's you as the painter or with crews. And so you got to take care of that asset and treat it as if you, it was a piece of machinery for you. So right. just a, a thought there. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, and, and it's interesting how people run, run things a lot of ways. I actually do know uh, production painters um, that, uh, that they're, they set up their crew so that they've got one crew that does trim. That's all they do. They go from house to house to house and they do the trim and then they have the, the wall painters come in behind them. And, uh, and, and to your point, um, not a lot of variety there, uh, probably a lot of burnout, but that's, that's how they run things. Well, but also, but also that, that's, that is a business decision that they're making. And I think there's definitely very good business reasons to do that. Um, but I would venture to guess that they may, may have higher turnover than, than not. So if you're, con if, if you're okay being what I like to call a, a meat market, right. You just need people in and that, that's, that that's okay. Right. But you're going to spend, you're going to spend the time and resources elsewhere, which is you're going to have to hire replacements. You're going to have to train them. You're going to have to, you know, your productivity. And so right. finding, finding what your brand is, again, it kind of goes back to what we said earlier. How do you define success? And I, I think you take that with every little, every little decision you have to make is how do you define success? And that's, um, you know, I don't want to be hiring people all the time. I don't, I want to hire people that are incremental to my growth, not to replace what I'm doing and that kind of thing. Right. So, so you're, you, and, and that's the back again, back to money too, is like you have the money in the bank, but you, or, or you have the money on the profit and loss, but, but you're more stressed because you're trying to put people in there all the time. Like that's not, that's not just getting us closer to the target, I don't think. And so defining, how do you want to be, what do you want to be as an employer? How do you want to treat your employees and that type of stuff? So yeah, you know, all, all, all things to be, uh, to analyze, but that all comes from understanding your inputs and how profitable you are or are not on jobs and and you know knowing what drives those 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 expenses yeah exactly so um i want to i want to go back to this uh the term contribution margin i i think i this is a new term to to our industry i think it's not an, a new uh term to business obviously but i don't hear anybody talking about contribution margin okay. I've, I've i've not heard that until my accounting class and I, and I, when I, when I figured, when I learned it and figured out how to use it, I was like, oh my gosh, like how, how does not, how are, how is this not the conversation? How is contribution? To, you got to the other side of the mountain and you it saw it's glorious. <laughs> I did. I did. It's, it's important. It's an important term. So, so, so kind of a little more slowly talk us through contribution margin. Um, tell us, tell us a little bit about how to use the contribution margin percentage when projecting or kind of setting up your targets for revenue? So uh, just for a reminder, contribution margin and gross profit are approximately the same thing. So you, you know, and that's the other thing that accountants make our lives more difficult is that we like to use multiple phrases and terms for the same thing. So that <laughs> for somebody that doesn't do it every day, they can get a little confused. Sure. When I think of contribution margin, this is my individual product or service how much money is left over after my expenses to provide that product or service. Um, let's use a very simple one. You know, I don't know what room there is uh, and it's probably job dependent, but you know, if you're coming to provide the service of painting my house and that means you're going to go pick up the paint, I'm not necessarily the type of consumer that's going to go audit. Well, did you pay $30 for that can of paint? Did you pay $35 and you charge me 50? I, 
I don't know. I'm not in the space enough. Now they're, sure. they're being reasonable. They're being acting with integrity and all that type of stuff. But but let's just use a can of paint, right? So if that can of paint costs me thirty dollars, and I sell it to the job for fifty, I've got twenty dollars of profit built into that job for that one can of paint. That's my contribution margin. That's what and I. That's what the contribution margin comes from. That's what I can contribute to paying my business expenses. That's what I have to contribute to pay down the other expenses. Does that does that help there? Yes. Then, yes. Well, real quick, and I'd say I'd say you do that for each product service, and now you've got the soup called gross profit. Got it. Got it. Got it. And so, so where that becomes helpful then is if I know what my um, non-variable expenses are. So, so any any expense that I have outside of cost of goods sold, outside of labor and material. If I know what that is, then I can do a little bit of, you know, math backwards to figure out what, like how much revenue I actually need to be making, because I, at the very least, I need to be covering my fixed costs, correct? That's correct. So let's just keep continue with our example um, of 50. I sell the, the paint can to the job for $50. It costs me 30. I make $20. I've got a contribution margin of 40%. Right. And then let's say I've got my overhead expenses. So this is another one. So my, my fixed costs, my overhead expenses, my variable, my non-variable expenses, operating expenses. These are all terms for approximately the same thing. And the main, the main, whatever you call them, the main thing is, a lot of these expenses do not move in lockstep with revenue. So as revenue goes up, my rent shouldn't, until I get to needing a bigger space, my rent shouldn't go up, right? Right. Uh, if, you know, my my business licenses shouldn't go up. My my uh, legal fees shouldn't go up. You know, that have, there's those don't move at the same trend line as revenue. Right. That, that's how we kind of come up with those. So we've got a 40% contribution margin for our can of paint, and we've got $10,000 worth of rent, utilities, licensing, all that type of stuff. So we, to get, so you just quickly take your $10,000 divided by your 0.4, uh, nope, not that one. I can't do math on the fly. You're good. I, I you got, you got an old school calculator over there. Has it got a paper reel? Uh, I do, I, I'm the tanky. So quick side story. I do have the tanky. I get made fun of from my office people and from everybody, but this is for moments like this. I don't need, I can do an Excel. I'm good. <laughs> I can do it faster talking about. So if I've got that 40% contribution margin and I've got $10,000 of expenses to, to pay, my, my break even point, which is another buzzword, which is super important to understand, is I have to sell $25,000 to cover my $10,000 of expenses. And then that, that leaves me zero at the end of the day, which is that we've just broken even. Right. So, so my first $25,000 of sales at that margin are just what I have to do to stay in business, to break even. Now, oh, you like to eat and you like to feed your family, right? Um, okay, so now we got to, you know, we start adding up. So, so add this stuff if in. We, if we want to, if we want to make a hundred thousand dollars, what at the bottom we've got these expenses. How do we, you know, how you, you kind of work your way backwards from there? Got it. So, so what we're basically trying to do here is we need to we need to understand at least our break even sales, which you said is taking our fixed costs for the period divided by our contribution margin percentage. Correct. Correct. And then our contribution margin percentage is calculated by taking our historical sales 
subtracting out for our variable expenses, our cost yeah, of goods sold, cost of goods sold stuff yep. like that, and then dividing it by the historical sales. That's correct. Okay. If you if if you're listening and you and you want to, you know, that that sounds like gobbledygook, pause it, rewind this be, this it. This be the time to get the pencil. <laughs> yeah. Pause, rewind, write that down because this is actually really important and and it's accurate. Okay, so so we arrive at our break even even cost. Now let me ask you this or our break even sale. Let me ask you this. Should our the you know, you mentioned eating needing to eat. Um should we set a salary for ourselves as managers of the business? Should we set that as part of our fixed costs? Um Yes and no. I mean, there, so this is this is sometimes not a popular um, popular take, but you took the step to own your own business. You get what's left over, right? Okay. Um, and you take you take what you take what, um, um, and you take on responsibility for employees and payroll and that type of stuff. You get what's left over, right? You got to pay those people first. Um, but <laughs> to make your investment decision on whether you're going to do this or if it's worth your time to do this, because the only resource we all have is really just time. What yeah. am I going to spend time doing? Um, um, and so to understand that you're like, can I make a hundred thousand dollars doing this? Let's say you got a great, you got a great corporate job, right? That there's plenty of those, there's plenty of reasons and, and stock options, all that kind of stuff that mm -hmm. corporate world is, is okay. Um, but can I make a hundred thousand dollars doing this? What does that look like? So kind of goes back to, are we kicked out? We got to do $25,000 of sales. How am I going to do $25,000 of sales? You know, you're kind of stress testing. Can I whether I can do this or not to make this investment. And so I think, I think it, so I talk out of both sides of my mouth, a, you get what left it's what is left over when you put up the flag for doing business. Right. B, you absolutely need to think about, you're not, you know, you're not doing this for charity. Right. Um, and then, you know, a lot of us have obligations and mortgages and kids and all that type of stuff. So, um, um, you know, you, you're, you gotta, you gotta budget in, what are you going to make at the end of the day? Now, that may go up and down and you don't want to, what I would say, which we'll get into this topic a little bit is the cash flow, but like, you know, maybe there's a month where you got to skip your payroll just because things are tight or you haven't gotten paid on a job or whatever it may be, but it's going to go up and down. But I think at the end of the day, what you're signing up for when you do that is saying, Hey, this is worth it because the, the times that this swings up and instead of making a hundred grand, I make two fifty or one fifty or you know whatever that number may be that it's worth the times when I make 70 or 60, Right. I'm, and, and I'm doing everything I can to have more upside, more, more and that, you know, more, uh, more wins than I am going to say back off that, that hundred thousand dollar number. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does. So, um, so what it, what it sounds like is that, you know, we, because we're a, pri because we're a business owner, we have primary responsibility to, to pay our, our, our people and, and, uh, you know, in our case, the paint store, you know, cause if you don't, if you don't pay for the paint and you don't pay for the people to put on the paint, then you don't got a business. I was gonna, that'll work for a very short period of time. <laughs> a really good cost saving solution or cash saving solution that will work very shortly and kind of affect you long term. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So, so in that sense, you do have to, you know, you, you will end up, you know, taking what's left. But if I'm, if I'm, let's say I'm an S corp where I am paying myself a, a salary, but I'm also taking distributions. This is this, I think this is where in my mind it fits to that yes and no. So 
yes, you're going to pay in that case, you would pay yourself uh, a salary and that, that would be, you know, have its taxes withheld. You'd be, you'll be part of payroll in my opinion. And you can correct me if I'm wrong or share a different, you know, a different take. My opinion is that that salary should, should cover your base cost. And, and I, and I recognize that there's probably a better tax saving way to do it. My own personal experience is that if I didn't take care of my base costs with my salary, then the, the distributions were ended up just being too variable and, and it put a lot of strain on, on my household. That's, that's my personal experience. That's where I'm willing to actually pay a little more taxes. If, if it creates a little bit of normalcy in my household. What's well, your I think, take? I think, what you, I think what you're saying is you, you're going to pay for it one way or another, whether it's to, to taxes or you're going to pay for it for that stressed or sleepless nights or that kind of stuff. So, right. So you absolutely. In best case scenario, you just or, you know, you're, you want to just create a scenario where you're going to succeed in because it's going to the business is going to require so much energy and, and and everything out of you that you need to make it worth your while. And, and you, what you don't need is money troubles on top of that if you can if you can help it. Right. Um, Right, right. From a from a compensation standpoint, uh, let's let's talk about that. Um, I think you teed it up perfectly to say this is why managerial accounting exists because there's a there there can be a there can be a tax answer a correct tax answer which is typically we like to pay less taxes. Right. Um, there, but then that, that that's not necessarily the correct managerial accounting answer because if you make you, and that's not the correct life answer because you can't pay for groceries if you don't have any income right right um and so managing managing that um appropriately you know there's going to with good managerial accounting where you've got good numbers and you can see what you're doing you can make that informed decision because now that tax is not just compliance it's planning and preparation and optimizing that tax as well i like to say what is a tax um tax avoidance is illegal tax mitigation is not right right so, right so um that's one piece as far as your kind of budgeting and building it into your you know to covering your your your, your needs <laughs> this is a very sticky way this goes back to the psychology of money piece right what often happens is what i what i see too often happen is uh lifestyle creep right so we had a few big jobs and now we've got the big truck and we've got new car for the missus and we've got, you know, all that. And it starts very, it, mm -hmm. it, it, what do the athletes always say? It's like, I, I became broke uh, slowly and instantly at the same time, you know? Yeah, so, right. so when you talk about what is the number that I need to live on, you know, let's be reasonable, which is always a super gray area and everyone's, you know, everyone's got different experiences that lead to that. But, but, you know, I would say the the number you bake in there when you're thinking about contract or you know what kind of sales you need to do is your mortgage, your insurance, your you know you know lifestyle expenses in the sense of um, you know you want to take the family out to eat once a week or once every other week, you know whatever you know just some basic living. This is not meant to be second country club, second house. You know, right? It can it can produce that for you, but you have to keep your your lifestyle piece in check so that the, that money come, can flow out to it to, to do that. As long as you keep the, as long as the sales and revenue is growing and the, and the profitability is growing to a point, you're going to, um, and you keep that, that lifestyle piece under control, you're going to have, there's going to be excess. My, my dad yeah. gave me some great advice when, it, when he, he always said, he's like, we, I joked, we, 
we made it in thousands and spent it in hundreds, you know, and, and right. so I'm not telling you to live on austerity measures. I'm not telling you to not spend money and enjoy your, enjoy your life and enjoy your successes, but making sure that you know what's around the corner and, 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 and that it's a sustainable, the biggest thing is just sustainability. Yeah. So, so I think that's, that's the main thing is, is enjoy your life, enjoy the successes, but keep it in the scope of what that business is producing for you. Cause that's where people get way sideways and then they can't pay their taxes. Then they, then they're right. late on their vendor bills. Then they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a very, very slippery slope. And I've, I've, I've just seen too many people go down the arbol and that's, and, and put a pin in it that this isn't, this is a income agnostic problem. Um, this is right, right. Make 20 grand a year and barely getting by, or you're, you're a high flute lawyer making 500, 600 grand a year. If you spend 601,000, you got no money. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so it's, it's, yeah, it's, I remember, I remember going to a, a, a house uh, was a couple of years ago, I was getting, getting ready to paint this guy's house and uh, we we're, you know, going through and, and doing the bid and he was giving me a walkthrough of everything. We went down into the basement and it was just, it was just full of stuff, just full, full of stuff that, that he didn't use. Uh, you know, his, his, his wife was sick, so she didn't come downstairs, you know, and he said, yeah, I, I bought all this junk when I thought we were rich. You know, and he, he's a business owner, and and so you know the the thing that he said was like, look, you know, your your sales go up and down, and and you know now all, now all all I have to show for it is this junk that I don't use, you know, and 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 it was the stuff, it was the you know the massage chair and the you know the exercise equipment and and all of that stuff, it was junk, and I and I think that um, I think it's perfectly okay. In fact, I feel I feel very confident and comfortable with my audience to say live bef below your freaking means, you know, like, like, don't get caught in the trap of what social media says that you need. Um, it, you know, like, I mean, a lot of people say this, you know, uh, Dave Ramsey says it, Gary Vee says it, like, you know, stop spending money on stuff to impress people who you don't care about. And, and I think that uh, in, in this business, because of our um, cyclical nature, um, you know, I think we could use little, little rules of thumb, you know, it's like, if, if you're living in the summer, if you, if you couldn't live in the winter, the way that you're living in the summer, then you're, you're probably living a little bit beyond your means, right? Because, because we just slow down, we slow down and things get tight. And if you're, if your income, um, alone is, is over leveraging your business, then, uh, then, then it's going to be, you're always going to have that annual scare because things are going to get tight things are going to things are going to get tough that that's really well said i i would throw out a few few more pieces um um a on the psychology of money um and people you know the, the busting of the curse of the capitalist society that we live in right is fill it up with things so and that, that's going to fix the problems that we may or may not have and so you know the only thing that we can affect is the time we spend on things and no amount of stuff is going to make, you know, relationship with your kid better or relationship with your family better or take care. You know, there's, there is some very, very uh, positive things that can happen being a business owner, right? You can help people in your family in a pinch, right? You can, you can do that type of stuff, but if you're handing out credit and you don't realize where you're at, that, that, that loan, that, that that's going to get called and you're going to get yourself in a position because as soon as, whoever you're, whoever the recipient is 
it's gone, right? You fixed their problem and they're, they're, you know, the idea of it coming back is not, you know, so you just have to be careful. Yeah. Um, I would say, um, and then kind of the thought about all these things that we, uh, I thought we were rich. The, the idea on the tax front, kind of back to that conversation is, you know, nobody likes paying more taxes than they need to, but taxable income, as you guys realize, when we had the PPP and the EIDL program coming out during COVID times is, well, funny, you need to show that you made money uh, in order to get this, this, these grants and these loans and that type of stuff. And, and so there's a balance, right? So you have to yeah. have income, you got to pay some taxes, but it's not the, you have to have a taxable income just to buy a house. Like if you, Correct. like, it's very hard to buy a house when you're a, a business owner. If, if your adjusted gross income is, is zero, you can't buy a house, Correct. you know, and as a business owner, you can make it so that your adjusted gross income is zero, but you're not gonna be able to buy a house. Right. So, so what we always like to say is don't spend 40 cents to make a dollar. Right. Right. Um, you know, so that's kind of let, let the economics, do I need a new truck? Do I, and then, and then look at yourself because the car salesmen are great at saying, well, you could write it off in your business. You know, I said, right. you need a new truck every year. Probably not. Oh, I, a couple but, years ago, I, I was, uh, in one of the Facebook groups in this, in this guy. And I, oh, I apologize if you're listening, don't worry. I don't remember your name. I don't remember who said this, but he, he basically said that they were painting, they were painting a dock. They were going to stain a, a dock. And he justified buying a boat so that he could stain the dock and called it a business expense. That's I'm I'm sorry, I'm gonna call you out, brother. That's lunacy. In my opinion, that's that's lunacy. Right. Um, the fixed cost side of our business, I think that this is the one that that can get us into trouble. Um, and it's gotten me into trouble. And that's where I brought in that term of being over leveraged. Um, which I think is also a new term for it might be a new term for some of our listeners. Talk to us about how um, how we should consider taking on fixed expenses, because fixed costs, um, sometimes they're just a waste of money. Sometimes they enable us to take things to the next level. Um, but the the higher our cost structure, in other words, the higher um, fixed costs that we have relative to our variable costs, the harder it is for a business for a service business to sustain that. Talk us through how to go about making choices and decisions when it comes to our, our fixed costs. So um, accountants are great at telling you not to spend money, right? And 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 uh, Torlando and I are joking about it. I've got a predisposition. Fortunately, I don't need things. Things don't make me happy and that kind of stuff. So spending my, I, I have a natural in all at all phases of my life, I have a natural reason. Yeah. I'm fine. I don't need to spend money. Not everybody's built that way, which very lucky in that regard. Um, and you just learn as you go, right? And and I think it's always just about sustainability. And you gotta try some things to grow the bit. If you if your sales are stagnating or or you gotta try something, you have to spend you, you will not save your way to prosperity. Um, and so you have to um, spend some money. Now you just need to, you also need to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, am I doing this for fun? Or am I doing this? Is this actually serving a business purpose? If it's serving a business purpose, um, I need to have some pretty, a pretty healthy underwriting process as far as do I need the Denali Yukon top of the line truck? Mm, maybe, <laughs> right. know, maybe not, you know, cause I, could I spend 15, $20,000 less and, have the SLT or what, you know, whatever, whatever trim, the trim level is, you know, like the same function. Those are the kind of things of just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And having a, just a, a discerning of, again, not telling you to live 
on austerity measures, but just have a higher degree of, because if this business is to continue to sustain yourself for the foreseeable future, you have to make sustainable choices. Right. And that, that means sustainable spending. And so when the time comes for, I need more space for my shop, I need to hire some administrative help. I need to, um, you know, I need, I'm going to cycle my equipment every three years or whatever, just so that, that, so that the flywheel can keep running. You just need to do it in a sustainable way because you're going to, I think keep going back, you're going to pay for it one way or another. Right. So if you use cheap materials and cheap tools and all that kind of stuff, you're going to buy three times as many of them. Right. You, you know, and so, so did you really get ahead by it instead of getting the, the, the better brush or whatever, whatever it may be. And so I think just having a very rigorous underwriting process of what am I going to invest in? Because this is money. This is money that I could take out to feed my family and take a trip that I haven't taken in five years and all that type of stuff, but I'm choosing to invest in this business. And this is why, and here's the reasons why. And if it's, if it's helpful, write it down, right? So you have a little, uh, a, a journal of here's what we're doing. And what happens is then we can, we can codify that in the process of when you get, if you get bigger, this is how we buy equipment. We don't buy new car. We don't buy new trucks. We don't buy, you know, but we, and we do it every five years and we, you know, that, you know you, you'll develop kind of these trends and patterns that kind of inform what your definition of success is. But I think it all comes back to sustainability, right? Because if this thing is to spit off a hundred thousand dollars a year, <laughs> I got to spend some stuff. It's not going to work as it did five years ago. I've got to right. spend money and resources and not every category um, is going to um, is not, is not going, is going to work. Right. So I, you know, from a marketing standpoint, there's all kinds of the, the second worst thing in the capitalist society of, is of the buying of things is the selling of things. <laughs> right. Right. Well, there's all kinds of schemes and ways that, well, we'll get you the clicks. We'll get you this but you have to know what's my return on this investment, right? What am I going to get out of it? And, and just be really, really, it's not that you don't, again, not saying that you don't spend money, but you just have to say what I'm spending dollars on this that I could be spending elsewhere, either in the business or on myself. What am I getting out of this and how am I truthfully measuring what that looks like? I think that's, that's how you grow your expenses. Um, right. Right. I, I did, I did make a note real quick up previously because it's when you start a business, you know, that's a nerve wracking experience and it's exciting. Then you pick up a little momentum and you start growing back. You're coming back when everybody hits a million or wants to hit a million dollars. Um, you know, you set this goal and but well, we, we hit a million dollars. Great. That, that's awesome. We keep going and <coughs> depending on industry, depending on your network, depending on, you know, a lot of variables, every business hits a brick wall at some point. Right. And that brick wall is, is, well, I, I can't be so busy with these 15 residential projects because I've got this two huge commercial projects like you will hit a brick wall. And for and everybody that is different, that could be a million dollars in sales. That could be five million dollars in sales. That could be 50 million dollars in sales. It's just it's just so dependent on the industry and dependent on that. But building up a sustainable uh, infrastructure along the way will help take you further, faster if you're going to make that lift. Right. And right. so, and then there'll be a point where you're like, now I got to invest in some more resources. I need more crews. I need more trucks. I need more, you know, and that, that those things um, will start to reveal themselves versus you having to kind of turn over the rocks and that kind of stuff. And so, but I think, you know, when we do this left, right, look at, at the, at my, at my competitors at my neighbors and all that kind of stuff, everybody's going to hit a brick wall. You don't know how you, yeah. you don't know how people are financing that. You don't know right. how people are, you know, they, and what I often see is they're, 
they're not paying for it. They're doing it through credit cards. They're doing it through debt. They're just trying to keep up with the Joneses. That's so real in personal life. And that's even more real in the business world. Yeah. And so building a sustainable cost structure and, 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 you know, and, and an infrastructure that will help you uh, keep this thing producing income for you, for the, you know, call it the golden goose right. for, for the foreseeable future is super important. Yeah. You're not, yeah. not going to kill the golden goose. If you put a boat on the golden goose, the goose might die. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <it might. laughs> yeah. I mean, understanding how to build your cost structure, I think is so, so important to uh, not only the, the health and sustainability of your business, but it's even important to just like, to understand how to bid things, you know, how, how am I bidding this instead of guessing and saying, uh, you know, the going rate in our industry is 65 bucks an hour. So I guess that's what I'm going to charge. You know, it's that, that, that is not, um, that's not a that's not a real way to do it you know it's it's a that's a guess in my opinion you know it might work for some people but it but it's a guess understanding your cost structure is how you incrementally build up the cost of each unit that you sell and so you know understanding what your labor costs are and you have to find that that equilibrium between finding the people who can do a high quality job do it efficiently and cause you the least headache in the process right that that has a that kind of has a dollar amount to it you know it's like uh you know depending on their skill level and depending on you know how much headache they they remove they're they're what you pay them per hour is gonna is gonna change and then your materials on top of that that changes every year i mean especially during uh COVID, my gosh our prices shot way up because of all those supply chain issues and the in the in the tariffs that were put on um, imports from the previous administration our costs shot way way up and so if you if you go with you know how you've bid for years and years in the past you're not your your contribution margin margin is going to shrink you're not going to have enough money to to pay for those expenses now when I when I think about um, the fixed cost when I think about taking on an expense in my business, I actually go back to when I was in, in B2B sales. And, and what we would say in, in B2B sales is that a business buys if it's going to make them money, save them money, or buy back their time. Because every added expense is an affront to their profit, right? Any expense that we could give, that we could create, it's stealing money from their dinner table. And so if, if we're going to create something of value, it better make them more money, save them more money, or buy back their time. So when we're kind of evaluating a purchase based off of that criteria, what, what, how should we be evaluating those things? How should we be looking at it? And, and at what point do we say, you know what, I, I have enough free time in my business. I, I should probably just do some of this manually myself. Um. Well, first off, I really like the way you said that kind of from a business decision is to make money, save money, buy back time. Um, the only the only variable we all we all can control is our time and what we what we do with that time. Um, and, and I think having a really clear definition of success and that de and, and having more importantly, having a, a structure to revisit what success looks like, because if you do, if you do the things correctly along the way, you're building something that's going to get bigger than you probably anticipated it being. And so you have to be able to recalibrate that, but you don't want to lose your roots where you were. And so I think you have uh, um, in, in the business, you know, in the industry, it's called a, a, a hurdle rate, right? 
of what am I going, what is my expected return on this investment? And that investment can be defined as I'm going to go to that breakfast series because I'm going to meet 15 people and you know, it's the, it's the right audience and that kind of stuff. So I'm going to spend an hour and that's going to make me more money. I'm going to, and I'm going to spend the 2000 bucks for the, to, to fund the, to fund or whatever. Um, so many people are just like, Hey, you should come do this. You should come do this and you should try this. And, and, and they, 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 they bypass that underwriting because it sounds fun or yeah, I'll, I'll figure out a way to do business in there and that kind of stuff. And it's really having, I think it's mainly about discipline and, and technique, if you will, to say, how, how am I evaluating the spend? And that's the spend of dollars, the spend of my time, the spend of, you know, all that type of stuff. And, and where are we trying to get to? If you are sitting fat and happy, um, which which most of us probably aren't, um, you know it's a great place to be. But you know the the wind again, if it fits your definition of success, is go keep growing the business, right? There's no right. reason to no reason to slow down. Um, if you've got if you've got time to contribute to it, or you've got a new goal that you want to, or maybe you want to take five ten years off your working window, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, what does what does that look like? Or a lot of people will kick up. Um, additional business lines being not just painting, but they would have wood floors and they would have contracting all sure, going horizontal. And you just, you have to be really careful because you, you're starting another business, right? It's all under the guise. And if you don't understand, you know, so, so you just have to be really careful because if, if, if this, uh, like, again, the golden goose is not ready to leave the nest and we start right. and we, and we have the entrepreneurial ADD, of, I want to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a real estate developer. I'm going to do that all over the place. Well, that's going to choke out and die. Uh, and then now you're like, well, what was fed, what was funding all these other things is is needs attention because it, we left it before it was ready or or we didn't make a continued investment in it. Right. That, that kind of thing. And so I, I hopefully that answers the, the kind of question. But you have to have you have to make it specific. Of I <laughs> I'm solving a problem. I need this to go in here and I need to spend and it's going to cost me this. I've got three bids from different advertising people and right so you have to you take the intangible and make it tangible to what you to what degree you can right right and and there are certain things that are um i think riskier you know expenses to take on because because anytime we're thinking about a return on investment um especially in a business context uh, and even more especially in a small business context it is a gamble we're making we're placing a bet we're putting we're putting money into the slot machine and, and pulling the lever and and banking on it, uh, you know, bringing back a return. Hopefully there's more control. Black, right? What? It always hits black, right? That's yeah, that's right. <laughs> so so, you know, hopefully we have a little more strategy. Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit more of a, a of a game of poker than it is, you know, a slot machine. But I think the thing is, is that we have to look at, OK, if I'm going to take on this fixed cost, how long can I sustain this fixed cost without a return? Because there, certain things take time. You know, certain things you put the money in, you don't get it out right away. Um, and and I mean, my opinion is try to avoid that as much as possible. You know, but there are certain things where you know it's like you you bring on a new salesperson. Um, you know, sure, it's gonna it's good. That's that hits a lot of marks. It's gonna it's gonna make you money and it's gonna buy back your time. Uh, that hits two out of three. That's that's a great idea. But sometimes salespeople, they take a while to they, there's a ramp up period. You know, they don't always start selling right out the gate. They have to learn. They have to improve. They have to, 
you know, uh, get better. And, and if it works out, then great. But then if it's not, then we just, we have to know how long we can sustain it um, on top of our, uh, you know, existing cost structure. So, you know, I would say that when we're evaluating those fixed costs first, I think we need to figure out, you know, okay, do we have, do we ha are we just putting 500, our last 500 bucks into this machine, hoping that it turns into a thousand? Or can we, you know, how long can we sustain that before we need to pull the plug on it? And, and I think, I think um, the point that I'm going to bring into that is, is, uh, I, I like it a lot, but it's, it's, are we going to be reactive or are we going to be proactive? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I think in this purchasing decision and, and, and vendor relationships, employee relationships, all that type of stuff, um, um, are we, are we going, you know, documenting it? And this isn't from an HR standpoint or whatever, but just documenting your thought process. We, you know, we've got this machine going all the time and not, you know, I was, I was up at four fifteen this morning. So, I was, and I'm fine. I, I, was, I was like, I'm ready to go. I've got, I've just got problems to solve. Yeah. Your mind is racing all over the place, but you need to have some sort of mechanism to write things down because you're not going to remember everything. You can't hold on to everything. You can't remember every customer relationship, not a da, da, da. but having tools and stuff to write these things down so that you can kind of track your progress. And I would say just, if you can go slow, right? So before you hire, if you're making your first hire, you got to make sure it's a, a does the basic job requirements get met b right. do i like this person c how am i going to measure their performance and have i communicated that before they start so that you just get, get away but but that is that is moving from and this is where why i like managerial accounting so much is because it's it it can be proactive and if you do it proactively it there's so many other things that you can do with it but if we get we just grow that top line without caring about the margins and we're just so busy and we're just, you know, always closing and we're, we're hustle culture and all that, all that, right. like you're being reactive and you're just, and you're barely getting your taxes filed and you're barely getting your taxes paid. You're just, you're just playing whack-a-mole pause, vote on yourself and be proactive and say, all right, there, there are things that I can control. There's, I'm going to control those variables. The things I can't control are, you know, if I've got crews out there and there's customers and people are, you know, all over the place, like, there's things I can't control. My day is going to get eaten up by some of that. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, that, that is what it is, but I'm going to control my financials. I'm going to control what we're spending in the business. I'm going to control how we're measuring that in the business. That's, that's what managerial accounting really is. And, and the more proactive you are, the more benefits you're going to reap because you're going to have more predictability and things that, you know, and, right. then, and then you're going to be able to say, Oh, Hey, let's go to Europe for two weeks because we can Right, right. Or, 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 or you know, pick, pick your, pick your poison. It doesn't have to be yours. Yeah, yeah. Well, and and here's where I think you know having having an eye on the you know looking looking you know through the windshield, but having an eye on the rearview mirror, because if we look back and we evaluate that that return on uh, on spend, and it didn't produce, then we have to have the discipline to start cutting that stuff out. And, and I think, you know, I mean, uh, think about how many people have, you know, subscriptions for different video services that they just forgot about. And it just keeps coming gym memberships. You don't go to, you, you're not paying that stuff is magnified tenfold in a business because the expenses are so high. And, and I mean, I just had to do this. This is actually a great time of year to start doing that is to look, look back and say, okay. Um, you know, the, the investment, I'll give you an example. I, I, um, there was a software 
I'm not going to name it. Um, they're not an industry partner or anything like that, but I'm just not, you know, I'm just not going to go down there. The guilty, but, the guilty will remain nameless. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I don't know if it, it wasn't their fault or anything, but, you know, basically I was, I wanted to um, implement uh, financing options into, into my company. And so I picked an option. It was uh, something like an $1,800, you know, annual subscription, something like that. And, um, you know, we went ahead and, and because we could sustain the $1,800, then we, we, we went ahead and paid the full subscription costs, saved 20%, you know, there's that kind of deal. Well, the reason that I did it that way was because I felt like that would give us the full year to test the, you know, the, the measure, see if it did actually, you know, if it did improve our sales and to see if it, if it made life uh, easier for us. And at the end of the day, nobody really wanted finance projects and, you know, their, their payment processor was very slow and, you know, led to all kind of cash flow convergence issues. And so, and so, you know, our renewals coming up made the decision to cut it because it just wasn't providing a return. Right. And so, so that's an instance where we, we had the money, we, we allocated the money for that fixed cost. We were able, we had a specific term of evaluation. And when we got to the point of valuation, we were able to decide, okay, do we cut it or do we double down on it? And, and I think that's, that's how I approach, you know, uh, bringing on fixed costs. And, and then, but the way that you evaluate how you could do it is, it's probably another, another show. I mean, I, we might have to split this into two episodes because it's getting, it's a long show, but um, I, I appreciate you for, you for your time. It's, so far. It's, good, it's good material. This is, this, this is, fun conversations and it's not just about debits and credits right <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would throw out there Orlando on top of that is is it's one thing you know it's it's a, it's a very challenging thing to build a business it's a very challenging to build the uh, apparatus to make fixed cost investment decisions inside the business and or outside the business um, it's it's an it's an entirely another thing to have a, a an evaluation mechanism, right? That, that right. you're really being truthful, right? You know that, and I think I think we all rationalize, right? We all we all rationalize everything, you know. We and we have the ability to to you know round up and fudge this to to, to you know to our favor and tell our oh story. we we know about fudging right now in the news. I will. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> There's some fudging Turns happening. Turns <laughs> out uh, somebody's like I said, you're going to pay for it eventually. Yeah. How, how long? Um, but, but that, that mechanism, that evaluation mechanism to look yourself in the mirror and say, I thought it was going to be this, this, and this, it was this, this, and this, that's good. That's bad. That's neutral. It's just to inform the next decision. Right. And, 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 um, you know, so being able to evaluate and, and it's only going to be, the picture's only going to be as clear as you, as you let it be. And, and that, that, that's just a, uh, um, a discipline thing in, in, internally that, that and, and if you don't have that today start working on developing that and then rely on um you know uh peers professional advisors you know that that's what that's what you know i think you know again accountants get a bad rap because they're just you know we're just trying to get the returns filed or whatever it is right but right right I, most of the accounts that i know love having these conversations with their clients and, and talking about because it this is it's not just getting the numbers in the form it's it's happened, help impacting their lives. And so I think don't be afraid to ask for help if you don't have that mechanism to evaluate. And, or if you're so in the business and you're so like, I love, um, <laughs> my wife and I are working on a, a real estate 
project right now and mm -hmm. we love everything we've done in it yeah and, and it's like we are too close to the project to we need other people to validate that we need to sell right. this project right <laughs> so yeah if you're too close to the business you need to have somebody with a little bit of that objectivity come in and say no it's not a good decision or that is a good decision here i understand help me under you know that that type of stuff and so so it, it's a it's a practice not a uh there's not a rigid science of this is what you need to get out of business you spend five percent on marketing do that da, 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 da. those are guideposts and sure. then you know forming it up to work for you is is the is, a, is another animal so it's it's uh it's it's fun stuff but clearly we've talked so much about accounting um but it it, 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 it i'm this, here for it <laughs> this all this all can um this all is what this is when people understand this piece of it that's when the business whatever brick wall they've hit that's when the business goes to the next level and then right and and, and you see that you see that in your markets you see that in your competitors you see that all over the place is when they solve this problem or leverage this information source they can they can't nobody can stop them yeah so so let's take this conversation home and talk last about cash flow profit and tax planning i think we have enough time for it yep. um because this so, yeah because this is the part where i think that um this is what they hung on for the first first 90 minutes of the conversation <laughs> yeah if they're, if they're... oh my god are they ever going to talk about how to work <laughs> my tax bill <laughs> ever going to get there yeah. um that's great then that's a great prompt because i think um um when we talk about investments in the business when we talk about distributions to the owners or shareholders when we talk about salaries when we talk about all these things i put tax in that bucket as well and you can evaluate your business and and kind of a tiered system profit and loss health right are we profitable do we have paper income mm -hmm. <laughs> which i think which which i think a lot of people do um but then then they don't have any money in the bank or you know uh, invoices are strung out from getting paid that kind of stuff but we look at that and say, and, th and this is what accounting does is it kind of creates an objective measure. You know, we had revenue of this, we had expenses of this, we have profit, hopefully profit of this. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. um, and, and so are we healthy? Check the box. Yes. Okay, good. We can go to the next conversation. F filter of saying, are we going to put push money out to the owners? Are we going to buy something? Are we going to do that kind of thing? Is our cash flow healthy? Right? So what you very everyone very much understands is the profit and loss is um, is a paper number. Cash flow is what's in the bank and and whatnot. So have I been right. paid on this work? Do I have vendors to pay? Do I have debt payments to make? Have I paid payroll? All that type of stuff. And that, as everybody knows, that doesn't happen in a smooth cycle no. um, for anything. And those and, and so is my cash flow healthy? Right? Am I paying my bills in a timely manner? Am I paying? Am I able to pay my payroll? Do I have some reserves? when the seasonality comes in or when the um uh, um you know the, the emergency pops up or a you know vehicle goes down whatever maybe do i have reserves right. so that that's not going to be stressful to me um you can't plan for everything you can't insure for everything but you can certainly take some of that stress out of your life if you've got some cushion so okay is the cash flow healthy great yes no you know then our next step is okay we're going to distribute this money or we're going to or, or we've got we've got our reserve funds in the company, and now we've got this tax. You know, the, the tax year is coming up to an end of twelve thirty one. Do we need to buy some inventory? You know, what's our tax bill looking like? What's our? You know, that's where you're leveraging your tax resource. I think I think everybody should call their tax CPA 
whoever their taxpayer is and they, hey, I want to do a if if your numbers are in a spot where you've got decent numbers through the year, complete numbers and not saying that they're whether they're good or bad, but you've got mm -hmm. numbers. Mm -hmm. Talk, call your tax CPA to get a tax projection of what is this going to look like from a tax spent? Because now we've got 60 days and thereabouts that we can, we could, you know, we can buy inventory. Could we prepay our rent? Could mm -hmm. we, is there any equipment that we need to purchase if we're in income position? You know, there's some very, very low risk basic things that we can do, but it, it has to be, we have to be profitable. We have to have cash flow and reserves. And now we're in the game of, okay, now we're projecting out what our taxes are going to be. What are we gonna? How do we mitigate that tax bill as best we can? You right. know, those things, those things I all just rattled off are all strategies that are just timing differences, right? I'm gonna, right. I'm gonna need the paint supplies. I'm gonna need all this stuff. If I've got enough cash to get me through the winter, I'm going to, I, I can buy it in December because I was gonna buy it in March, and I get the, I get the benefit of, of the expense in in 23. Um, and then, and that 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 informs it. So those there's some basic tax planning. Then there's other aspects, but it's all kind of risk reward of how much, you know, there's some very, very, what I deem low risk ways to lower your taxable income and benefit you and benefit your companies uh, without saying, I'm going to, yeah, the, the painting business needs a boat. Right. Right. That, that, that is just a dumb, a dumb <laughs> lunacy was, was, was your word. I, I love going to the lake. I love getting on a boat. But yeah, get a boat. I'm, I'm, not gonna, business. I'm not gonna convince myself that it's for the business. Let's be, let's be honest about that. So, right. But that all none of this analysis that we just walked through the last couple of minutes, none of this can happen without clean financials that are informed from man, you know, managerial accounting financials. That, that everything else comes down from that. So um, that's hopefully the, the main takeaway from if you guys haven't gotten tired of listening to us thus far. No, no, I'm, 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 I'm fully engaged here. I think, I think the audience is too. Um, so, so what I'm hearing here is that as we're evaluating those expenses to, to make that we should be thinking about the, the, the safe, the safe choices, safe bets. And, and, and actually on, on one of the groups, um, there was a question of like, uh, okay. real, real, real quick, real quick. I would, I would, it's not safe because people often, often, correlate safe with cheap or show or, or not taking a risk or any kind of stuff. It's, it's doing it from a position of strength, right? So that you've yeah. got cash flow reserves. You're in a, you're, you're making the decision. The decision's not <coughs> just minor. Okay. That's like fair. It. That's fair. So, so I'll give you this example of, of a, you know, a question that was posed in one of the groups. Uh, the, the question was, okay, my accountant says, you know, we, we got to, you know, save on some taxes would, um, would offering a healthcare, benefits package um would that be beneficial you know would, would is that a good idea basically and and there are a lot of you know there are a lot of questions a lot of pros and cons you know for me um i i think that from a from moral perspective i think that it's, it's very valuable if you could do it if you if you can do it i think that you should if you can't um you know there's a reason why you know businesses with fewer than 50 employees don't have to offer you know uh, 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 healthcare because it's quite expensive. And so, you know, the, the, this idea that you had of, well, maybe, maybe you pay, you know, maybe you pay up on rent a, a few months, maybe you, you know, maybe you increase inventory. I actually like those ideas because what it does is it actually reduces your, um, your expenses in the slow season. And so, you know, where you would be having to pay like an expensive rent, through you know uh, December, January, February, uh, 
if you had that cash and you paid it down, I think a lot of people lack the discipline to just reserve it and and uh, hold on to it. It burns, it burns a hole in their pocket. It burns a hole in their pocket. That's right. And if it were me, I'd start getting anxious about the lead flow coming down. And then I'd start spending money on marketing and marketing gets very expensive in, in, in the winter. And so uh, so I, I like that idea. But I wonder what your what your comment is on on, you know, making those choices, you know, in particular, there's this healthcare one. What, you know, how do we how do we make those choices? And then how do we um, versus how do we decide to bite the tax bullet and just and just when, take when, take what we can home? When do you, yeah, when do you, when do you, um, it's a, it's kind of a continuum of of um, flexibility with that cash, right? The taking the taking the taking the tax pill and and bang is 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 the least restrictive thing to what you do with the remaining money. If there's any money left there, 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 there which our tax code is built in the way there is, um, then you kind of go up the ladder. And 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 you had mentioned briefly, but like there is certainly even on the smaller side, there is certainly a uh, moral side to the health insurance component and that type of stuff. But it all, but it all, all of these funnel back to what do you define as success? Do you define? Do you do you and, and do you want to keep adding people? over and over like keep hiring people but then they leave it well i needed health benefits and they had a great person whatever you know if you're hearing that in the business it's a, it's a it's a, a yellow flag saying hey i need to do something here mm. and and you're and the best part about being the business owner is when you can split that dollar you're getting three things for one you know what i mean so you're so you're a you know if you're defining like you're, you're doing a, a, a generally accepted good thing by providing health insurance to your people b you're getting uh, retention, so you don't have to hire as many people, or you don't have to turn people over as much. You know, so you're like you're getting benefit. It's not just a dollar leaving your pocket. You're getting benefits, albeit uh, qualitative, but you're getting benefits. And I think that's that's how you took take the lens on it. Is is, is like you said, is this going to make me money? Is this going to save me money? Is this going to buy back my time? If I don't have any, if I don't want to offer health insurance and I can't seem to get anybody to stay with me as an employee, well, my time is wrecked right? right so so like there, there's there's just all kinds of uh different ways but i think that's the that's the core is is how getting your mind to understand how am i going to benefit in this and how does that line up with my definition of success and how does that you know how does that help further how does that help health the help the health of my golden goose yeah absolutely, absolutely. Or if, if it's a bronze goose now how do we make it a gold <laughs> yeah how do, we, how do we make it better that's good that's good so if we get this if we take this stuff seriously what does what does our business look like frank um you you're a, a, a you're a lean mean machine that that no cycle no seasonality is going to stop right you you put the, you put the power on your side and and again that that level is different for everybody for different reasons um but but let's think the ultimate is think at the end if you were ever to sell your business and i and you've created you've got a great customer base you've got great painters but you've got a dumpster fire of a financial situation in the sense that there's just no records you can't communicate your successes to somebody that's buying it i'm not going to pay you for those successes right and, my, and everyone thinks at the end of the road my business is worth so much and it's and it's not because you didn't put infrastructure in so so whether you're whether you're you've got that infrastructure or not um you know, you're putting the ball on your court. You're creating that value for you, so that at the end of the day, even if you never sell this thing, the value that is being 
know, that's what these private equity and all these people that buy businesses do is they, they know how to run financials. They know how to run businesses. They don't have that market presence. They don't have that brand. They don't have right. X, but they know how to run a business. And so that's, that's what you can be is you can, and then you can help people. You know, there's people that are contractors that aren't cut out to be business owners. And so you can go acquire their book of business and they could be a great project lead for you. And you know, all right. you, know, you, you put that in, you, you get to make that decision, which is, which is why you start a business ultimately in the first place is, is the the downside is known, right? I have to go work for a corporate job, which is or 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 you know whatever. But the upside is is literally limitless. And you see, you know that that's the beauty of how our our system works is it, there is no cap on what you can do with it, and it's and it has to do what you want, how you want to succeed with it. Awesome, awesome, Frank. This has been a great conversation. Uh, yeah, we will, we will. Frank, uh, Frank Reardon, financial controller of the PCA. Thank you so much for being on the show, Frank. Thanks, Joanna. Take care. All right. There we have it, folks. Frank Rudin with the PCA. Uh, wonderful conversation. Uh, thanks for hanging in there with me. I know this was a long one. Usually, uh, you know, we, we were about half the time. But you know what? This topic is so, so important. I didn't realize. I'll tell you, going into my class uh manager accounting i was like oh my gosh this is gonna be horrible mm -mm. nope you gotta know this stuff you gotta know this stuff you gotta dedicate to your you know dedicate yourself to it and find somebody to help if 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 it just if it's not clicking find somebody to help um and and i and i would say you know contact the the pca to uh get in touch all right that's it for our show thank you so much for uh listening we appreciate you make sure that you subscribe to us on i or on apple Podcasts and uh spotify until next time my name is torlando and this has been paint ed Paynet podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and are made possible by members and industry partners. To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPainted.org.